I want Stuart to come to the pulpit uh, right now. We're going to welcome him in a moment. He is married. His wife is Zandra. They have two grown children. They're also grandparents. But in this service, his wife is joining us, and she's seated here. And so I don't mean to embarrass her, but we're going to welcome Dr. Scott, and I'd like his wife to stand because let's welcome both of them to Colonial Baptist Church. Amen. Amen, brother. You just keep looking at her during the service and listen to me, we'll be, we'll be fine. Uh, God has blessed me with a, uh, a wonderful wife. Kind of interesting going back. I was 25 when we married. And you know when you live single, you think you're really spiritual. You know, I mean, you got all the fruit of the Spirit. You love yourself, you're kind to yourself, you're gentle with yourself. <laughs> And then the Lord blessed me with uh, Zandra, and uh, God has used her, uh, one, as an example uh, to me of Christ-likeness and uh, to show me areas in my own life where I need to keep growing. And uh, then he brought along two sanctifying agents called children (laughs) and continue to work, and now grandchildren. So we are very blessed, and God has just been so good to us. It is a delight to be here, and thank you for uh, the, the leadership inviting me to come and be part of this summer series. North Carolina is a special place for me. Uh, I was born again here in uh, North Carolina, Asheville. God graciously saved me at a uh, Christian school, Ben Lippin, in Asheville, North Carolina, in my senior year of high school. I had made many professions of faith. Growing up in a Christian home, heard the gospel of Christ so many times, and had emotional decisions, uh, lasted for about a week or two, and I was back living for myself. Uh, but at age 18, God graced me with repentance and faith to believe, and by his grace has persevered ever since. So it's a special place, coming to North Carolina. Uh, Zondra spent many a year in Asheville, North Carolina. Her dad's family is from there. Uh, and uh, we honeymooned in Boone. So we a lot of memories here in North Carolina. So it's a blessing to be here. Now what happens when uh, God graciously saves you is you have a lot of questions. Uh, one is, what does God want for me to do? We want to do God's will. We want to live for his glory. But what is his will? How does he communicate his will to us? I mean, there are major decisions that you have to make. Vocation, uh, whether to stay single, marry. I mean, especially at age 18, you have a lot of major crossroads in your life. But then minor decisions. Just throughout the day, we make thousands of decisions, and we want to do what pleases God as his new child. But how, how do you know what his will is? And we live in a particular time in a particular place in America Well, we're up against a few different challenges. One is we have a lot of options, don't we, in decision-making. You can't go to a store without being faced with so many different options. You go to a supermarket, and there are five brands of everything. Uh, Just recently, we were out in California, and uh, our daughter uh, lives out there, and son-in-law and grandchildren and uh, we said, let's go out for dinner tonight, and kind of was asking around, what, what would you like to eat? 
It was just kind of quiet. I said, just what about a burger? Let's go out for a burger. She said, I know just the place. So we went to this burger place called The Counter. And they give you a menu for your burger. I just want a simple burger. But here's the menu. And it it takes about 15 minutes to kind of work through this menu. You you have four different types of meat. You've got to choose one of them. Beef, turkey, veggie, or grilled chicken. Then the size of the meat. How, How much meat do you want? Then you need to choose a cheese. It says pick one out of these. There's ten choices of cheeses. Then it goes on to toppings. What toppings do you want? It says choose four. Well, there are 18 of them here. And then if that's not enough, there are premium toppings. Choose uh, any one of those. Uh, there are ten more toppings, premium toppings. Then a sauce. What sauce do you want on your burger? There are 19 choices of sauces. And then what kind of bun do you want? And I'm thinking, I just wanted a burger. I didn't want to have a a major paralysis of analysis of what to choose here. So we're faced with lots of options, aren't we? It makes it more challenging uh, as you make decisions. Another challenge is God's people are all over the place when it comes to how does God communicate his will to us. It is from one spectrum to the other and everything in between. Uh, As a new believer at that school, I was listening to chapel speakers and pastors come in and speak, and I would just listen to them. How did they know what God wanted for them in their life? Where to go, uh, how to serve, to marry or not marry, And uh, here is one missionary, and this is what he wrote. He said, I thought I would serve the Lord by being the best research scientist here in the States. But God said, quote, no, I want you to serve me overseas, unquote. As we prepared for the mission field, I thought we would serve in Asia. But the Lord said, quote, no, I want you to serve me in Africa, unquote. I'm going, that's what I'm looking for, you know, the, the direct stuff. Um, tell me in quotes so I don't miss anything and I can know your will and do it by the help of your spirit. And then it got to a place where this missionary said, I thought we would stay there and train leaders, but God said, quote, no, I have something different planned for your wife, children, and you, yet I won't tell you until you first take steps to leave your beloved country, unquote. You go, whoa, there's a direct revelation. Then there's others, like this lady. I've been collecting these over the years. This lady was trying to figure out if God's will was for her to go visit her relatives in California. She lived in Colorado. So one morning she was by her her bed, kneeled there praying for God's direction. When she glanced up at her digital clock, it read 747. And she knew that was a type of aircraft carrier. And she believed that God was telling her through the numbers on the face of the digital clock to go to California. Her pastor said, I must confess, I was not convinced. I would have been more impressed if the clock had read 767 or DC 10. This book, uh, written for ladies uh, on dieting, over a million copies sold, 
at the end of chapter 3, the ladies are supposed to pray this, written by two evangelical women. Father, in the name of Jesus, I need specific guidance and direction in my life right now regarding my eating habits. You can see I need your help in losing the extra pounds on your body, on my body. Sorry. Show me your will. Please speak to me and show me how much weight you want me to lose. Now, what if she glances up at the digital clock? (laughs) Show me how much you want me to weigh and how many calories I need to eat each day. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. How is God supposed to communicate that and all of the, the different numbers and And see, this is what is very confusing in the evangelical realm today. When uh, I uh, got to Grace Community Church, just a few years before I went there, another associate pastor was counseling a married couple who had all kinds of marriage trouble from the very start. In this counseling session, the associate pastor asked this couple, how did you ever come to marry in the first place? You've had problems your entire marriage. And so the husband recounted how he had gone to his pastor at another church seeking to know the will of God for himself and his girlfriend, who is now his wife. That pastor of the other church reminded the young man of how Joshua and the Jews marched around Jericho several times how the walls collapsed. Then the pastor suggested that the boyfriend literally walk around his girlfriend several times. And if the walls of her heart collapsed, then he could be sure God wanted him to take her for his wife. So he obeyed. He circled the girl several times and popped the question, have the walls of your heart tumbled? She responded by saying she felt strange inside. (laughs) That means run. Run, get out of there as fast as you can. Notice there was no horn blowing. And so they both concluded that her heart had fallen in love and so they made plans to wed And on it goes. So many books, popular speakers today that God will speak through the Bible, comma, uh, will speak through prayer, through circumstances, and speak to other through other believers to you. And then sometimes, what this author says, God may choose to speak to what to you in a way that's just unique to you. And then another author, very popular author, says God speaks to me through books, not not the Bible only, but through books, books in the library. Through his wife, to his wife, he speaks through movies and to his son through rock and roll. And this Christian psychologist says a few months ago, I was brushing my teeth at three in the afternoon. Why then? I'm not sure. Without warning, I entered a different world. I heard the Spirit, Holy Spirit, say, and these are exact words, quote, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you what you've been wanting to know, unquote. He said this other world experience lasted 10 seconds, perhaps 15. Then I heard nothing. After a few minutes, I sensed a powerful urge to move to the family room and watch TV. Uh, This this writer, in God's providence, this book is out of print. Uh, Interesting that the endorser of the book says this timeless book is the best I've seen. Uh, This is on impressions, how to know if they're from God or from Satan. And uh, this writer says, you can detect the devil by one of two things. The devil always talks loud. Jesus always talks low and tender. 
When a spirit makes an impression on my mind, that impression can be made in a loud, boisterous way, or that conviction can come quietly, gently, and sweetly. So now, was that a loud impression or a soft impression? Uh, This professor uh, is talking about his uncle. His uncle used the open Bible insert finger method of trying to find God's will. And when his uncle was single, he said he opened up the Bible. He really wanted to go out with Melissa. And so he asked God whether he should go out with a really pretty girl named Melissa. He said he opened the Bible. The first verse that met his eye was Proverbs 6.25. Do not desire her beauty in your heart and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Although that is in context of a harlot. Uh, You don't want to be getting your information in that passage. So he asked, then who should I go out with? This time he flipped open the Bible and it opened up to Isaiah 55.12. You shall go out with joy. So he asked Joy out. (laughs) But Joy said no. One of the worst illustrations is, do you know what promise boxes are? Little boxes, they cut verses out, put them in, and then you put them on your table, and you pull it out every morning, you claim the verse for the day. It's out of context. Most all of them are out of context. It's sort of the evangelical fortune cookie approach to the morning, to the day, but they had promised calendars, too. And uh, someone sent me one for my birthday. And I don't know if it was for a joke or not, but I, I started flipping through and thinking, how bad are some of these verses that they've chosen? And in March, I was flipping in March 10th, and I ripped it out and put it in here because you just wouldn't believe it. Uh, March 10th, the promise of the day is from Luke 4, 7. It says, I'm supposed to pray this and promise it, you know, I mean, claim this. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. I looked at that and I went, that was Satan. That was Satan tempting Jesus. And I wonder how many, how many Christians are claiming that for the day? You know, if you worship me, it will all be yours. Well, we, we make so many decisions. People are all over the place on how they make decisions. And tonight is part two, and I want to talk about ways not to make them. I've listed about maybe 15 to 18 ways. Don't be making decisions based on these things alone. And then how to do it, and how to make decisions in a way that are by faith in God and in his word. So that's part two tonight. This is, this morning is on being informed and transformed. And so let's go to the book of Colossians, if you're already there. Colossians chapter 1. It's a church that was struggling with some distorted, deviant teaching. It was a young church. Paul had never visited there, but he had a report come from Epaphras, who's mentioned in chapter 4 of Colossians. And he reports that things are going fairly well, except there's some teaching coming in. And it was the early start, the early form of Gnosticism. It was full-blown in the second century, but in the first century, it was just getting started. And it was a combination of Judaistic legalism and Greek philosophy combined. And these teachers were saying, no, it's Jesus isn't enough. It's Jesus plus certain practices and, and, and give up certain practices. And so they got into the do not handle 
do not taste and do not touch, almost ascetic practices, uh, Judaistic legalism, adding something to Jesus alone for your faith. And then with that came this Greek philosophy of there's extra knowledge out there that you must have other than knowing Christ. Knowing Jesus is not enough. You have to have visions, which he talks about in chapter 2. You have visions and you need more knowledge about yourself. Uh, And so you have this combination of certain practices you must give up and have other additional knowledge other than what was taught through the Apostle Paul about Christ. So Jesus was not enough. You needed something else. And they were all confused. What is God's will? What does God want? And so Epaphras brings this report. The Spirit of God, moving the hand of the Apostle Paul, writes this letter. And we start with the petition in verse 9. It says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. We is he and Timothy. Timothy's mentioned in chapter 1, verse 1. So he and Timothy have been regularly praying this one petition. And I like this, that it's one petition. I just turned uh, to be a senior citizen this year, and so I have my senior moments. And um, what happens is if I have to remember a lot of things, uh, I don't do very well. But one thing, I can kind of hang on to that. And I'm thankful for this prayer, this petition. It's only one petition. There's not 21 here. There's one. So I think we all can do well on this, of remembering this, praying it for your own life, and praying it for our church, the church here. It says here, here's the petition. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The first phrase there is to be filled. It's used other times in the New Testament, Romans 15, 14, where Paul said to the Roman believers, he said, uh, I am convinced of this, that you are filled with all knowledge, full of moral goodness, and apt or, or, or competent to counsel or admonish one another. It's also used in Ephesians five eighteen, where we're not to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. This word filled means to be under the dominating control of something. I mean, it so dominates you, you are under the intoxicating, dominating control of something. And the uh, New Testament dictionary, theological dictionary of the New Testament, this word, it says it means to shape one's whole existence. You are under, you know the word, you're under the word, but it's the, this will of God, this knowledge of his will. I'm going to talk about this in a minute, of what, what is his will. Uh, God only has one will. Few aspects of his will, but only one will. And then, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, in verse 9. So be under this dominating control of the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the spiritual wisdom and understanding, it consists of understanding and wisdom. The spiritual there, the mention of the spiritual, is a reference to the work of the Holy Spirit. One commentator states, God's Spirit works immediately in and through his word. 
The Holy Spirit is uniquely related to the Bible. It is his book. He moved men to write it. Now he has completed the process. He does not abandon the Bible, but uses it as the means by which he works in the lives of believers. Now, God's will, one will, two aspects of his will. And this may help you to understand when we talk about God's will, which aspect are we talking about? And that gets confusing to many people. And for some of you, you've got this all locked in. You know this. You've read a lot. You've studied it a lot. And this is just bringing up to remembrance the things you've already been taught. But there's the decretive aspect of God's will. This is his sovereign will. His decreed will. His sovereign will. You get into verses like Ephesians 1.11 where God works everything according to his plan and purpose and his will. In Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, it says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. This involves his sovereignty. He is sovereign Over all things. He declares the end from the beginning, everything in between. Nothing happens that's not part of his sovereignty and his sovereign will. He's decreed it all. He's always, in some theological words they use, he's always the remote cause of everything that happens. Always the remote cause. But when he designs things, no sin involved in his own being. He doesn't purpose things for sin. He will allow things. He will choose to incorporate sin and even Satan in his plan. But his purposes are always holy and right and good and just. He is perfect in righteousness. But God's sovereignty will be involved and his providence. This is how he sovereignly orchestrates people and circumstances to carry out what he has decreed. And this is what helps us as believers to trust him and who he is and that he is over all things and he can work all things together for our good through Jesus Christ, for those who place their faith and hope and trust in Christ alone. It's about Joseph and his brothers. His brothers meant it for evil, but Joseph said, but God has meant this for good. So God's intent is for our good, the good of his children and his glory. Now, we can't know God's decretive aspect or his decretive will ahead of time. Except one exception, and that would be in the form of prophecy in Scripture, where God tells us ahead of time through Scripture what's going to happen. Other than that, you don't know what God's decreed will is this afternoon, tomorrow. You don't even know what his decretive will is five minutes from now. You cannot know this aspect of his will ahead of time, except in prophecy and scripture. How we know God's decretive will is looking backward. Everything that's happened has been part of his decreed plan. Nothing's happened that was not part of his will. And we can see his providence at work, moving, orchestrating circumstances and people to line up with what he has decreed. This is God's sovereign the aspect of his will. 
Secondly, you have God's preceptive will, sometimes called his moral will, his desired will. It's scripture is what it is. It's his revelation to us, a special revelation of scripture. And it comes to us in the form of commands and principles. He has commands for us to obey. And he gives us principles to follow. Commands are more like a GPS, a road map. It will tell you where to turn right or left. And then his principles are more of a compass. It will give us a holy direction to follow that will bring glory to God. And then you have wisdom, which often in Scripture is related to the knowledge of his revealed will. So when you know God's revealed will, his Scripture, and you seek to live it out, that's wisdom. It's knowledge applied. A wise individual is someone who knows the scriptures and lives it. So a young person can be very wise, knowing the scriptures and living according to it. An older person may be very foolish when they don't know scripture and they keep repeating the same mistakes for 40, 50 years. So it's not age necessarily. But the longer you know scripture and know the Lord and are seeking to apply it, the more wise you become. I'm kind of a visual thinker, and so this diagram may or may not help you putting these two aspects together. But let's just say this was God's decreed will from a side view. He declares the end from the beginning, his, his decreed sovereign will. And we take an aerial view. We come up on top of it and look down, and we see everything that's happened, past, present, and future. If we were able to see in the future in the form of prophecy fulfilled, There's his will, his decreed will. Nothing happens in the black space. Everything that happens is part of his plan and purpose. And he works everything out according to it. So all events, past, present, and future, are part of his decreed will, that aspect of his will. Then within this, you have his revealed will, Scripture. So he's given us special revelation, this aspect of his will. And within that, you have commands and, in the middle of that, principles, where you have some purposeful freedom to move around in a compass-like direction. Commands you don't disobey, the principles you follow, but it gives you some freedom to fulfill those and walk according to them. Now, what God is trying to do, and I remember as a new believer I was hearing all these kind of ways of making decisions and go out and hear God. And so I was out there trying to listen in the woods, and all I heard was birds. Uh, He wasn't speaking to me. I thought, well, I may have to be 20 years old in the faith to get the direct stuff from God. Then I was relying on peace. Then I was looking for open doors. I was looking at circumstances. I was reading tree limbs even, you know. Where do I go this summer to work a job? That kind of looks like A. I think I'll go to Atlanta and work there. I mean, I I was just all over. I didn't know how he was going to communicate what he wanted. And thank God I never missed his decreed will. Neither have you. It's God's decreed will that you're here because you're here. And you're not on plan M or O or triple Z. You know, you've never missed his decreed will. You're... He only has one decreed will for you, and you are in it. 
And thank God he is sovereign over all of that. And even my foolishness and my immaturity as a new believer, I was just all over the place, but never missed his decreed will. But what God wants to do in his people is to shape us with his word to look more and more like Jesus Christ. And, and I, I kind of illustrated this as a line. He just gonna, he's going to work by his spirit to tighten us up to think more biblically. And you just keep coming in and coming in. And I look back and I, I'm not flipping coins and resting on all kinds of subjective measures anymore, but trying to follow the commands and principles and making decisions. That's walking by faith. So maybe this will be an encouragement to you, and tonight we'll look more at how that's done. Now, this is a confession of faith put together a few hundred years ago by godly men who wrote and looked at the will of God, and this is what they wrote. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in scriptures, in scripture, or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. Boy, that's a mouthful. Well, let's shorten it. Here's the shorter catechism. The Word of God is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. The Word of God. Not on all kinds of subjective measures, but the Word. Now, this is a... uh, Another pastor in the 1800s, J.C. Ryle, this is what he wrote, calling God's church to be more biblically focused. The Bible must be our standard, he wrote. Whenever we are confronted with a question about Christian practice, we must apply the teaching of the Bible. Sometimes the Bible will deal with it directly. That's sort of the roadmap GPS concept. And we must go by its direct teaching. Often, the Bible will not deal with it directly, and then we must look for general principles to guide us. Now, there's the compass, the principles that are more of a compass. He says, it does not matter what other people think. Their behavior is not a standard for us. But the Bible is a standard for us, and it is by the Bible that we must live. Now, there's a warning. And the warning is what is happening among evangelicals. And it's been, been there for several years, but it's increasing. Uh, I refer to it as a, a tsunami coming through the evangelical realm. And it's this. It's mysticism. This increase upon subjectivity away from the Word of God. R.B. Kuyper, a professor of theology, wrote this. It is the essence of mysticism to separate the operation of the Holy Spirit from God's objective word. And so now what you have is you'll have people, speakers, writers, talk about their spiritual walk with Christ, but it's not according to commands and principles. It's, Jesus told me last night this, and uh, today Jesus told me that, and he said, uh, I should go here and do this, and And then I felt the Lord. I felt the Spirit in the service. It just was a tingling sensation. And you're going, what is going on? They're they're moving moving away from God's Word. But they're using the same words, same concepts, but it's, it's separating the work of the Holy Spirit from His Word. And there's no evidence that it's God at all. 
There's no sure way to know it's God once you leave his work. And there's no sure safeguard once you leave his work. And you're thinking, well, I had these experiences. Yes, but there's something more sure than your experience. Peter said this in 2 Peter 1. He said there's something more sure than experience. And you know what it was? He said, I saw Jesus transfigured in front of me. I heard the Father say, this is my beloved Son. And then he says, but there's something more sure than experiences. And that's the Word of God. It's more sure. It's more confident. Let's, let's stay with the Scriptures and walk according to them. This is increasing. It's a pseudo-spirituality is what it is. It's a false spirituality. I think these people mean well, but they're not, they're not thinking right. And when you don't think biblically, you won't live biblically. Right? Orthopraxy follows orthodoxy. I mean, you want to think right, right doctrine before right practice. And it's a concern, especially in the Christian life and the church and the counseling people. And they're, they're wanting to walk by sight when God has called us to walk by faith. One day we will all walk by sight in the sense that we'll be in, I mean, those who are in Christ will be in Christ's presence. We'll see him. But now, when we don't see him, we walk by his word, by faith. Now, here comes the purpose. In verse 10, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Here's the purpose of to be under the dominating control of God's revealed will. That you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Why do you want to know God's will? Because I want to be more healthy. I want to be more wealthy. Uh, I like prosperity. Isn't that why the prayer of Jabez was so popular? People wanted more stuff rather than wanting to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects. That should be what we're wanting every day. That's what the Spirit of God within God's children want. The Spirit wants us to walk in this manner, worthy of the Lord, a holy walk a manner pleasing to him. And here's what the portrait will look like. This is where you're transformed. The more God's word is is saturating your mind, you're thinking about Christ, his, his revealed will in scripture, your life begins to get transformed. And here's what happens through different brushstrokes in this passage. In verse 10, he says this, that you would bear fruit in every good work. And and those are active verbs. You will be increasing in good deeds for other people. You're going to be more like Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You're going to think less of self and live more for the advantage of Christ and thinking more about other people. That's one of the things that will be happening. Number two, he follows up with this right after that in verse 10. He says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And that's an ongoing tense. So you're, the more you're in the word of God, the written word always reveals the living word, Jesus Christ. You don't search eternal life in the scriptures. The, the scriptures present Christ as eternal life. He says that in John chapter 5. You, don't want, you, you want to look in the word, read the word, so you can know Jesus more. That you can look at him in the mirror of God's word, and as you're looking and beholding him, 
The Spirit says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 through Paul, he says, when you're beholding him, you're transformed from one image to another. You're getting to know him more, what he loves, what he hates, and abiding in him more. Thirdly, he says in verse 11, that you may be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Then it goes for steadfastness and patience. Well, you're going to be increasing in spiritual strength. Not your strength. It'll be the strength of Christ. When we're weak, he is strong. Right? His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So we'll, get, we'll be more strong in difficult times, difficult circumstances. We won't just blow over. And then when we're with difficult people, we'll be more patient. Uh, when we were young in the Lord, this person bugged me and I left the church. You know? Uh, this is a little difficulty, and I just gave up reading the word. And No, 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 no. No, the more you're saturated under the dominating influence of God's word, looking in the face of Christ, you'll stand stronger, you'll mature more, and then you'll be with difficult people and you'll love them more rather than want to get away from them. And lastly, he says you'll be increasing here. In verse 12, you'll be giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then it goes right on in to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he has done for us. We're going to be more thankful because we're going to realize God's grace. It was all of grace. And I was a sinner, dead, disobedient, doomed, depraved. And God took me from the kingdom of darkness and transferred me into the kingdom of his beloved son. And this is not all there is. This is not heaven. Heaven awaits. And he forgave me of all my transgressions, all my sins, past, present, and future. And if you're saying, oh, boy, that would be nice, I would invite you that you would talk to someone and say, please, I, 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 wanna, I, I want God's will for my life. And God's will initially is repent and believe in Jesus alone. And for his children, it's to grow and mature, be transformed by the continual renewing of your mind with scriptures. Let it have its dominating influence in your life. And you know as well as I do that this dominating, controlling influence will not happen in five minutes a day. With five hours in front of the TV and three hours in front of a computer, the dominating influence will be those, not scripture. So it's going to take time. It's going to be intentional on your part to want to think more, read, study, dwell on it, memorize some, and then, Lord, help me by your spirit to obey so that I can become more pleasing to Christ, more like him for our good and his glory. Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you just for this opportunity to minister your word to your people. I pray that you would grow us more and more into the image of Christ. Thank you for this church and its strong stand on your word. Bless the leadership, encourage them, the the school as well. Lord, their commitment to you and your word and to your people. And a commitment to take your word to the lost. And Lord, we pray that your spirit would accomplish 
your decreed will, which he will, but that we would work in concert with your revealed will that we read and studied. Lord, we love you. Increase that love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.